Welcome to the Essential Church Podcast. Our goal is to strengthen and equip church and ministry leaders just like you through practical and theological discussions about some of the most pressing and important issues facing the local church today. We feature conversations with members of our team here at New Life Church in Colorado Springs, Colorado, as well as interviews with authors and thinkers from around the world. You can follow The Essential.Church on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Watch episodes on our YouTube channel and also subscribe to our podcast via iTunes and Spotify, where you'll find a full archive of previous conversations. And now, here is this week's episode of The Essential Church Podcast. Welcome to this episode of The Essential Church Podcast, an ongoing conversation about some of the most important issues facing the local church today. I'm your host, Andrew Arndt, and today... I want to take you to a special episode. Just this past week, we hosted about 50 pastors from across the country for our semi-annual Essential Church Learning uh, Community, is what we call it, Essential Church Learning Community. I lost my word there for a second. But uh, it was a great time. We spent a couple days really talking all about worship, theology of worship, um, uh, theology of encounter, where do we encounter the Holy Spirit in our worship, as well as some practical things on writing songs and song lists and how we manage all that. And one of the really great conversations we had over the last couple days was a conversation between Pastor Brady and Pastor John Egan on five potential battles for senior pastors and worship leaders, battles like who has the final say on the song list, who says uh, the amount of who gets to say the amount of time that we use for worship versus the preaching, the spotlight, the battle for the board, now what level of friendship needs to exist between the senior pastor and the worship leader. It was really, I got to say, of our two days together, I think that 30 minutes was the most meaningful for me, just to see the fruit of the relationship that these guys have built over the last 13 or so years. And so we wanted to just give you that conversation in its entirety. We don't have video for it, uh, which is why it's just audio here today. So um, we think that you're going to be blessed and helped by this. If you're a senior pastor, grab your worship leader and listen to it together. If you're a worship leader, I don't know, maybe grab your oversight or your senior pastor, see if you can't sit down and listen to it together and have some conversation. We think you're going to be blessed by it. All right. Good afternoon. Boy, that, that last session was so good. It's so fun to watch these guys explain that. I thought it was just a great session, guys, just brilliantly uh, presented and beautifully uh, received. I just, I, I learn something every time I hear these guys talk about that. And uh, so just thank you so much for presenting that. Now, I know some of you think it's all rainbows and unicorns around New Life, but we're going to talk about... <laughs> We're going to talk about actually the tension that happens when you're on a team where two or more people are gathered together. There's bound to be a fuss, right? And I want to talk practically today. So we got all the heady stuff out of the way this morning. Today, this afternoon is going to be super practical. It's where the rubber meets the road. It's where life really happens. And everyone knows that a senior pastor comes into a church worship uh, on Sunday morning, all geared up, uh, hyped up on caffeine and ready to go. And then the worship pastor shows up and sometimes there's conflict. Sometimes there's tension. And oftentimes, that relationship, if it's not healthy, can affect the entire weekend service. It's that important to get this right. In fact, I can remember, not between John and I, but in other times where there was so much tension between the soundboard and the people leading worship and the person doing the preaching that there was no chance that the Holy Spirit was going to do anything remarkable that day (laughs) because there was so much friction in the room. So what we're going to do today is name the points of conflict that are potential in your church. And you probably are already painfully aware of all five of these potential conflicts. 
And we're going to talk through how we, John and I, have been working uh, side by side now for almost 14 years. uh, And we have wrestled with this. And we're honest about these conflicts. We talk openly about this. So I'll say one thing to uh, all of the introverts in the room and all the extroverts. If you do not like conflict, you cannot lead. Leadership is conflict. And if you run from conflict, you're actually running from leadership. Leadership requires you to embrace conflict, right? Not abuse. And and sometimes when you hear the word conflict or you hear the word uh, confrontation, the first feeling is it's abusive, it's angry, it's, it's ugly, it's damaging, it's hurtful. That's not the truth of that. Conflict actually is where the best ideas come from. It's like every, the, you know, the necessity is the mother of invention, but necessity is actually caused by conflict. And it's out of, out of chaos and out of conflict that the best ideas tend to surface, if it's done in a healthy, godly way, right? So John is an Enneagram 4. Everything's beautiful or everything's ugly. It's nothing in between. <laughs> and, it's a sad beauty. <laughs> <laughs> everything's beautiful. Everything feels, right? Yeah. You gotta, how many Enneagram 4s? You're probably the worship leader at your church. Or even now feelers. Enneagram 4s in the room. Yeah. So I'm an Enneagram 8. And, and the, of course, everybody groans when you hear that, right? And I'm, I'm actually the only Enneagram 8 on our leadership team. So I'm always throttling down and not trying to run over people and not trying to be the bull in the china closet, you know? And can we just do something, you know, make a decision, you know? So I, I realize, but knowing, the reason I'm saying that is knowing your strengths, knowing who you are, Knowing how you respond to criticism is important. How do you deal with conflict? What are the best times for you to have these conversations? This is really important. When do you talk about these things? Right after the service on Sunday is usually not the best time. Usually Wednesday or Thursday is the best time before it happens. Sorry, let's talk about these five conflicts. John, anything you want to add about this? Yeah, I just, I just, I do firmly believe it's one of the most vulnerable relationships within the church is between the worship leader and the senior pastor or worship team and senior team. I think it's an enemy, uh, it's an area where the enemy attacks. I think we've seen, you know, you see church splits over this. Um, I know in the worship world, you see, um, especially as worships kind of filled the earth in a lot of beautiful ways, there's also a downside to that. You see worship leaders, if they don't have their needs met by the senior pastor at a certain church, they just pick up and go to the place where their needs will be met. Uh, so there is rub, there is, uh, Conflict, and I think it's, an, it's a vulnerable relationship. Um, the key for us, for Pastor Brady and I, and we're, we're very different, um, Enneagram 4, Enneagram 8, or if you do Myers-Briggs or anything like that, that kind of the, I'm a, I'm a INFP, so the F side is the feel thing. Uh, but Brady, you know, there's things we're going to talk about set lists or just picking songs it's so helpful to understand that there are different personalities. There's a personality that says, I need to know going into the weekend that we have this set, you know, where I'm going, maybe in a less mature, John was saying, well, there's so much possibility, (laughs) (laughs) you know, don't, don't, don't box me into this set list. I'm not going to plan this a week out. And then someone else was like, I'm a week out. I'd like for you to plan your set list a month out. It's like, no, never, not in a million years. Um, so, but it's, it's not that someone's trying to box me. It's that there's a personality that also says, I need to go into the weekend. I won't sleep. I need to know that this stuff is help that is done, you know? And so for me to come meet in the, uh, us to meet in the middle on that is really, really helpful. But the key, I want to say this, so 
from the beginning. I do. I, I firmly believe I've got good parents. I, I believe I was raised well. And I believe that there is an ordained leader ordained by God to lead a church. And it's not the worship pastor. Um, I truly believe it's the senior pastor. Um, I believe that the senior pastor is the worship pastor of the church and deciding that early. And I don't think I decided that day one of ministry. I had to just learn that the hard way. I realized that through stuff and then, but to decide that early makes things a lot simpler. And I would encourage worship leaders in the room or pastors to just send your worship leaders to me and I could help them uh, understand it. But that's, that's a very helpful thing. So when there's a rub, someone has to win, you know, maybe win's not the right word, but some a value, the value, I have a value for authenticity, but a greater value for honor. So when something maybe rubs my value for authenticity, I'm not abandoning it, but I have a higher value. So, yeah. Thank you. And John, let me just say to all the worship pastors in the room, John is easy to lead. <clears throat> there's one thing about disagreeing and there's one thing about conflict, but John makes it easy for me to do that. John invites that. Uh, Micah does that. A lot of our worship, all of our worship team does that. They, uh, w- one of the most joyful things that I get is right after the service, they say, hey, how did that go? What can I do better? What, what do you, cause we have multiple services here. And oftentimes like I look at that time between the first service and the second service it's kind of halftime adjustments. And if you'll get into a habit of having a halftime talk at your services, it actually, the second service can go really well. I mean, that's the benefit of having more than one service. And oftentimes if, if you don't invite that kind of instruction, then the pastor feels like, well, I'm, I'm going to have to interject. I'm going to, ha- this is going to become a confrontation instead of a conversation. And so what, what the, best, the best teams know how to have conversations and not forcing confrontation. So if the worship pastor, if, if you're a worship leader at your church, if you would just walk up to your senior pastor in between services, before service, and in between those two services and say, hey, feeling anything? Are you sensing anything? Uh, what, what do you feel like we can do? Is there anything I could change? We can't make major changes, right? You can't change the song list. You can't, you can't get rid of three vocalists. I mean, you can't do those things. But there are subtle things. There are little subtle things that if you would just, and you know what? Most of the major conflict in the church is just an accumulation of minor aggravations. So let me say it one more time. Most of the major conflicts in churches are the accumulations of minor aggravations that went unsaid. But when you say it, if you'll speak out on the minor issues, you'll have very few major issues. I mean, just talk about the minor stuff. Don't assume that that minor stuff is, doesn't matter because over the time, a course of time, the minors become majors. And what I love about John and what I love about Dr. Pete and our team is we don't have any major issues because we talk about them all the time. We just talk about these little things all the time. So, okay, so these, all five things that we talk about could become major if you're not talking about it. But if you'll talk about them now, they won't ever be a problem in your church, right? The one is, the first one is the battle of the list. What songs are we going to sing? And, uh... Is it up there? Places of encounter. No, we've already done that. We're not doing that again. The the battle of the list. The battle of the list. So John and I have a rhythm, a pattern. Whoever's leading worship on the weekend, we have a rhythm and a pattern of getting that song list in front of me on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday at the latest, but sometimes in the middle of the week. And I'm not a hard, fast deadline person, but I do want to know where we're headed. And I want to have the ability to speak into it if I want to. 
Because there are things that I am sensing. I know the text that I'm preaching. I know the stories that I'm telling. I know where I'm trying to land the message by Wednesday or Thursday. My message is done. I mean, it's in the crock pot by Thursday at noon. I mean, it's stirring in me. It's brewing in me. It's all I'm thinking about on my day off on Friday. It's, I try not to, but every pass in the room knows you don't stop thinking about the sermon. And you're thinking about it. You're brewing on it. You're stewing on it. And so I want to know what, how am I going to be, how is that going to be set up? What's going to happen before the sermon? And the worst feeling in the world is to have a sermon in your heart and then show up and the songs have nothing to do with anything that's going on that day. When we're all talking about Jesus, but there's different ways of talking about singing about Jesus, right? That lead you to a place. And so the list is so important. And so John and I have this practice of talking about the list. And where, where do you think that, where do you think that, Speaking from a worship pastor's standpoint, where does that cause friction with worship pastors? I think one of the things that's very helpful as, as, as senior pastors, I think you want your worship pastors to feel like they have leadership over this. You want them to feel like they, they can own this, um, but they fully have, but you submit it to them. I mean, Jason just read it out of Ephesians 5. We're submitting to one another. Um, so I, we helped out at a church uh, who went through a, a brutal scandal. It was just difficult and we were with their staff, and we asked them, okay, so tell us about your, your worship flow, your worship services. And they just let uh, whatever pastor wanted. So, and for a while, we tried this, and, and then pastor changed his mind and wanted to do this, so we just did this. And So I, I think for pastors to go overboard with, like, you're singing these songs, and there's, you become, uh, you're losing the, the leadership in the, your worship pastor, and you're becoming kind of robots, and, and yes, sir, and no, yes, ma'am. Or, and so... It's what's awesome. What's really helpful with Brady, he he's, has an involvement. He has invested interest. Obviously, he has the authority, but that we feel permission to lead, to go for it, to to to, to pray, to ask what the Lord's doing uh, with songs. So it could be a tension when uh, Pastor Brady wants a, a certain song. I'm like, mm, we sang that so much already. It's like, but I, you know, I just have to. It, and that happens, you know. Do I have to do Waymaker again? <laughs> 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 I love this. Our, our, this, is the, this is the joke that John and I, this is when, uh, here's what I've, I have a strong suspicion about worship pastors, and I may be wrong, but I think worship pastors get bored with songs more than the congregation gets bored with songs. Because you think about this, on a Sunday morning, you went through, you went through a, a full sound check that morning, so you already sang it once, if not twice. Then you sang it at 9 o'clock. Then you sang it at 11. Well, the average churchgoer is only coming to church one and a half times a month. So they've only sung the blessing once in two months. You sang the blessing eight times in two months. And it's so 45 minutes long. It's a long song. <laughs> How many times can you sing amen? <laughs> yeah. Amen, okay? Amen, amen means amen. just the end. <laughs> So I think this is, it's a great conversation to say, uh, and how many songs do, are in your catalog for that? that, that I mean, one of the things we do is that a couple of times a year, we review our, our global catalog and say, these are the songs that are really speaking to our church. Now, do we leave, obviously, John is a prolific writer. Micah and the team's a prolific writer. So new songs are being birthed out of here again. But we, we tend to have a rule, only one new song per set. One new song per set. And, and not every Sunday needs to feature a new song. 
So it, their familiarity is, is, is important. If you want people to engage in the singing of the songs, then one new song per set, and not every Sunday should feature a new song. That's kind of the general rule we run by. And we've agreed up front that there, there's a universal catalog of songs that are best fitting what God is saying to our church right now. That's the list we're working from. Now, I'm not narrow. I know there was this one church I just heard. They only have 15 songs you can pick from. I thought that was, well, there's, you know, we would probably be more like 50 or 60 yeah, songs that we can pick from. Yeah. All right, that's the first battle. The only t- uh, just one more thing, and we'll move on to the next battle, is, um, you know, it's a funny thing with the worship and Spotify and iTunes. I mean, it was like 10 years ago that worship uh, became a, a genre. Um, and worship music became its own kind of radio station. And, um, and then you have iTunes and then iTunes now is done in a way. And now Spotify is curating playlists and who's curating those playlists. People were not really sure who they are. There was a season where people did know who they were. So they were taking them out to dinner (laughs) to get our songs on the playlist. And there was money exchange at one point. I mean, this is, there's stuff they've all cleaned all that up. And now it's people that no one knows who they are, where they are, but they're back back behind closed doors deciding what goes on these playlists, which a lot of people are pulling their, their hearing any songs from these playlists. So you have to use a lot of discernment. And it's beautiful. The songs that, that what the Lord's doing on the earth with worship is beautiful, but it, we have to use caution as well. And so we, we, we go through this. That's why it's so important to have a relationship. It's so important to be talking because a lot of senior pastors might say, I, I don't even think, care about all that. It's just, I don't know. I just like a good song. It's like, yeah, but I, we care about it. And we just want to make sure that we're staying pure. It's like, okay, it, you, you stick together. And Brady has a purity of worship. He wants to make sure that we're, what we're, because we don't just sing uh, because we believe something. These days, especially, we're singing our way into believing something, especially with most of our congregation. There's more Bible literacy than ever. And so we are putting the belief of God is in these songs. Uh, the, the truth of God is in these songs. So we really need to be picking uh, great songs. So coming together on that and emailing back and forth, it has become an exercise that I've, I've really uh, <laughs> learned to enjoy and love. And, and how about this? Senior pastors who don't care what you're singing, that doesn't send a good message to the worship pastor. It's like, let's do this together. Tell me you don't want me to sing that song. Let's sing this song because it says we're in this together. Yeah. And you don't want your senior pastor walking out at the end of the last song because he didn't like any of the set. I mean, you want your senior pastor out there with his hands lifted, leading the congregation in worship, being the worship pastor. So that, that has to be a shared, shared love. All right. Now, the reason we're not getting into what kind of songs to pick, because that's an entire session tomorrow. So we're going to talk more about this, how to pick songs that actually build people's faith. And, and we're going to, that's an entire session tomorrow. And that's going to be a great session. All right. Here's the second battle, the battle of the clock. How much time and is there an allotted time? And when the, when the worship pastor continues to violate that, how do you have that conversation? And so we, we have about a, the opening set for us is around 20 minutes, right at 20 minutes. And I told John, I said, I don't mind you going over. It's just got to be awesome. <laughs> if it's awesome, go So over. I do it every week and it's if awesome. It, <laughs> which is every single week. But in other words, something extraordinary, something out of the normal, something extraordinary needs to be happening in the room in order to justify the extra time. Don't go over extra time just because we fail to prepare. But we can go over time if there's something remarkable happening in the room that needs to be addressed. And that happens. I mean, we, we leave room for that in our service. We, our goal is about a 70, 
minute service. So an hour 10 is kind of the, 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 especially now because online church has become more prominent, we've shortened our services probably about 10 minutes since COVID. We were used to be an hour 20 minute service, but now we're shooting more like for an hour 10 because we're trying to keep people engaged. So our, our normal engagement level online right now is 24 to 29 minutes per viewer, which is pretty high. And the reason we've done that is we've made everything concise. I'm preaching like 27-minute sermons right now, 28-minute sermons. And it's amazing how much you can get done in 28 minutes if you don't waste time and if you're prepared. And the same is true with worship. If you're prepared, a lot of worship can happen in 20 minutes. If you come in, first of all, if you come ready to worship and the staff comes ready to worship from the opening downbeat, 20 minutes, you can get a lot done. The Spirit can do a lot of work in 20 minutes. And you don't have to belabor this, but talk a bit about the time and what pressures do you feel when you look back there? Like right now it says 119 on the clock. When you're you're (laughs) a worship pastor and you have a 20-minute set and you got three more verses. Yeah, wrap it up. What's going through your mind right now? Wrap it up, Egan. Um, Yeah. Uh, You know, I I grew up in like kind of the vineyard, uh, very encounter-heavy type worship where those, yeah, I was swimming in the river all day long and... uh, jumping down, spinning, dancing in the river. I was doing all the river stuff. And 20-minute worship services uh, to that camp, uh, it's like, wow, that's a joke. I mean, you know, you're just getting warm, warmed up. So it, you know, it was a wonderful, it was such a good learning lesson to realize that every minute could truly count. It's a great exercise for worship pastors who aren't leading very intentionally. Every breath matters. You got an eight-bar intro? Don't just let the music play. What are you going to say? You know, how, how are you going to lead the church to, into this song? Uh, we, we have a saying in our camp, it's like, when the set list is approved, that's not the end of your planning. Right. It's almost the beginning. I, you know, I get it, Brady and I come together on, a, on, a, on the set for that Sunday, and then I enter three days of trying to figure out every little moment. And he's like, oh, it's no big deal. It's just a little call to worship. It's a big deal. You know, if this morning I led with Psalm 23, I lack nothing. Lord's my shepherd, I lack nothing. I didn't just say, oh, that'd be a good idea. I practice how I would say I lack nothing. Why can't we do that? Why shouldn't we do that? I'd tell some of our uh, worship leaders, if you're not sure what to say, record it into your voice memo. Send it to me. It, it's like, well, that's vulnerable. Exactly. <laughs> you, you won't do it to me, but you're going to do it in front of a thousand people? <laughs> you know, let's figure... Uh, that out. So with the, with the clock, I, I, I just, the Holy Spirit could do anything he wants in five seconds. It's people do need time and space. So we've, we've, we figured out how to get more space on, we do a worship night every, every month called first Wednesday, where we allow more space because we do value space. We do value time. Now, 20 minutes on a Sunday morning. Is that kind of uh, a half version? No way. I love Sunday mornings. I love to go for it uh, in those 20 minutes. I love to make each moment count. I love when the body of Christ is together. If it's 15 minutes or 20 minutes. You know, one, one, we used to do worship for a little longer. And then when we added communion at the end, we had to shorten worship up top because we were doing worship at the end. And I remember I was, I was thinking, hmm, it rubbed kind of my old sensibilities. And I called a friend from Hillsong. Who, I, I adore Hillsong. And they're, they're good people. And, and um, I know a lot of people in that camp. And... Um, I just said, how long are your guys' Sunday worship, your weekend service sets or worship sets? And, and he said, uh, we're about 15 minutes, and then if we do communion, about 12 minutes. And I thought, hmm, you know, what a worship movement on the earth through Hillsong. The Lord has done so much through them. It's not because they worship for 45 minutes every Sunday, you know. So, anyway. Uh, and I, just to speak, you just made a good point about the transitional moments. A lot of the wasted time is not the actual songs. 
a lot of the wasted time in worship is someone not thinking through how they spoke it through the transition. So I don't mind. I, I love those prophetic transition moments when they're, thought, they're thoughtful, they're prophetic, they're strong. But, the slop, if, but when you're not prepared, you actually go longer than when you prepare. If you don't prepare, you start rambling. Prepared people actually speak in shorter bursts. And that's really important. It's a great thing. Here's the third thing is the battle of the spotlight. What happens when the worship pastor is really popular and people, like you see me a joke around here, we show, uh, like on Facebook or Twitter, you'll love new life. The worship is awesome. And nothing else said. I mean, like no mention of the, you know, the small groups, the preaching, nothing else. You'll love new life because the worship is awesome. It, like early on when I was trying to get my footing here, like, well, I, that wasn't terrible what I said on Sunday. It was, I mean... It, it wasn't, it wasn't amazing, but it wasn't awful. And can you, can you just throw me a bone every once in a while that, you know, at least he was sorry funny guys. And the, sorry. and the pastor is funny or the pastor is cute or whatever. Say something nice. <laughs> but what I'm, I'm saying that because there, if you allow those insecure thoughts to take root in you, if you ever allow a competition to happen between you and anyone else on your staff, that's where the enemy does his most dangerous work. Competition. Un, and this is, this is, by the way, extremely prominent in the American church right now. If you don't think this is not happening, it's happening. I promise you it's happening. I'm on the phone every week with pastors who are wrestling either with arrogant worship pastors or arrogant senior pastors who are intimidated by anyone else around them who's as talented as they are. And this is a massive thing you have to address. Do you need an inordinate amount of attention to survive as a pastor? Mm. All right, all the worship pastors, do you need an inordinate amount of attention to do your job? Mm. Now, all of us need words of affirmation. There's not a single soul in this room that doesn't need compliments. And we need to be affirmed. We need people to affirm what, we're, what they see in us. We all need encouragement. But there's a healthy balance of that, and there's an unhealthy balance of that. Right. And all of us need to be vulnerable with each other. Like, this is how much I need. I really do need people to tell me the sermon's good. I know people think that I hear that all the time, but I actually do need If it's good, tell me. If it's terrible, don't tell me. But tell me, you know, when it is good. <laughs> <laughs> but the point is, how much do you need? And where are you getting it from? Mm. How, much, how much of that spotlight do you need? And where are you getting it from? Yeah. That's a question for every senior pastor in the room. And that's a question for every worship pastor in the room. And it's important from time to time for you to talk about that with one another. Right. It just seems like in this day and age with social media and all that, this is, this is so hard. This is difficult. The competition and the spotlight. I think we have, I know, I know a lot of worship leaders who don't think they're effective at all unless they're famous, unless they're known. Unless that, they're only, that's, that's the sign that they're significant for the kingdom if they're known. When did that happen? You know, how did that start? Uh, Jesus was pretty hidden. Um, so this spotlight thing, I, I think Pastor Brady just leads us. This is one of the uh, areas that he's just, I mean, he's got all these guys up here with him sharing. And I mean, not a lot of senior pastors do that. They hog it or they want it. Or they, they, it's not because they have actually an ego and they want to hog it. It's because they're insecure and they don't want to give it away. Pastor Brady wants the spotlight to go to others. And I think for us as worship leaders and worship pastors, we have to, um, we have to shine, good leaders shine the spotlight on everybody else. And I think that worship pastors have to shine the spotlight back onto the senior pastors. Like he, this is, you know, this is, this church is, is pastor, pastor Brady's my boss. He's my pastor. Uh, he's leading us. And, um, 
yeah, it's just, I think it says a lot to, to, to people. It also speaks to your ability to grow teams and to all the worship pastors in a room. If you're sucking the oxygen out of the room everywhere you go, there's a reason why people are not following you. And, and that's the same as for senior pastors. You have to create space for other people to grow. You need to create boxes of, of fertile soil around you and make sure there are places for people's rootedness to go down around you, that you're not taking up all the nutrients in the, in the soil. And making sure there's plenty of space and plenty of room for people. So pushing people out in front of you is one of the biggest kingdom ideas. I mean, Jesus modeled this so beautifully. Go into all the world. And, and I'm going to be with you to the end of the age. But I trust you to go. That's the great commission. I trust you to go. I trust you to finish the assignment. I trust you to get this right. I trust that the Spirit's going to be upon you. And saying that to your team, if you want remarkable teams around you, you have to push them out front and, and give them good soil to grow in. You know, one, one way to humble an arrogant worship leader who thinks he's better than the senior pastor, make him preach. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe don't put him in front of your church, but hey, why don't you share a devotional at the staff meeting and watch him fumble through that and it'll probably solve a lot of issues. <laughs> now, well, I, a lot of, and even if that doesn't work, you can say, do it four weeks in a row. <laughs> Well, this is just a joke between John and I, but there's a, just a grain of truth to it. But I was like, I said, um, sometimes when we're just, you know, like picking on one another, I'll say, John, you already have the song written before you get up on Sunday. I have to come up with new material. I'm singing a song for the very first time. For the very first time, I'm singing this song to the church. You had a, you had a month to pray over that and sing that and record that. I didn't. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, but I may never sing this song again. But my song rhymes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, it's a joke. All right, here's the fourth one. This is a smaller one, but the battle of the board. Um, sound, feel, and this includes lights, okay? So the light board, sound board. Who... Who really has final say on the feel of the room? The, the lights, the sound, the stage design, everything that goes into bringing people into the experience of worship. A lot can go wrong when the lights are bad and the sound is bad, right? We know that. In fact, we're, if you quite honestly, we're at their mercy on Sunday. I mean, I've been the most vulnerable 30 minutes of my life is standing up there in front of all these people, knowing that if one cord gets unplugged or one thing shorts out, it's going to blow the whole thing, right? And so who, who really speaks into that? And John has a beautiful eye for lights and sound and having that conversation about what is, here's the question, what environment are you intentionally creating to bring worship to it at its best? In other words, what are you doing to invite people into the fullest worship experience of encounter? And how are you purposely creating that environment with the tools that you have at your disposal? I am, I'm really passionate about this because, you know, the first voice that people hear when they walk into our services is not the call to worship. It's the lights and the sound. That's what, when they walk in, they see there's an environment. If the room was dark and the stage was bright, they already, someone already said to them, oh, I'll sit and, and, and spectate because something's about to happen there. That's a message. And then the worship leader gets up there and says, it's not about us up here. Come on, let's go. And say, like, you've been telling me that for the 10 minutes I've been here is that it's all about you guys. So we, so I am big on the environment is right away. So the house lights are up and the stage is actually a little dim because it's, this is a community. This is a family. It's Psalm 95. Come let us not come let you, the talented priest and all that. This is us, the priesthood of all the believers sound. We mix it. We can mix it like a rock show, you know, um, the 
however loud the, the, the pre-music is playing, that communicates something. And then the band gets up there and starts playing. And there's five vocalists up there, but maybe you hear one of them. We're actually, when we leave people in the worship, we're, we're inviting them to sing with us. It's like, but I can't even hear the people with microphones. So let's get, so we have, we try to put like vocals a little more out front. And the band kind of is this immersive thing that surrounds you because we want you as the worshiper out in the congregation to not feel exposed. So, and we're big on this. So what's the decibel, what's the sound in our room? And this is different in every room, but what's the decibel average in our room that it's not so quiet that I feel exposed if I sing, but it's not so loud that if I sing, it doesn't matter. It's about them, it's about their voices and we want them to sing, but they won't sing if they're feeling really exposed and they could hear the person three rows down. Uh, you don't, you know, they feel uh, vulnerable. So we have in our building, which is to give you a little bit, we study this and, and also we want to arm our tech teams and not have to ward off all the complaining congregants. Let's make this a leadership issue on us and say, as leaders, we've decided in our building our so for us, it's 92 DBs is our average. And when it peaks, if it ever peaks, it goes to 95 and then it like, it, it really squashes it down. This is something we've cleared with OSHA. This is something we've done work on. So anyone who goes to our screaming at our, uh, to our sound guy, like, I want this. What about this? Why is the sound this way? It's like, oh, we've studied the, we've studied this and we've worked as a senior team and we've decided that this is the way that we, we do it here. I'd love to introduce you to someone like Glenn. He could work, he could disciple you through this, this sound issue. (laughs) One, one thing to be aware of is how unsettling flashing lights are. Flashing lights are not your friend. I know it, it creates this, you know, happy environment, but honestly, it is very distracting. We, so we have, we have a great light team here. I appreciate some, they put so much thought and prayer into what happens in the room. But one of the things early on is I, I made an executive decision that we're not going to have a lot of flashing lights and the lights are not going to move very much. And the reason is I'm trying to, I don't want to distract people. Everything we do has to add to worship, not distract from worship. And it's really easy sometimes to get some new gizmos and new toys and want to play around and want to experiment. Yeah, and and use you don't have to use all the lights that you own. You know, use them use them judiciously. Be be able to answer the why for every single thing that's happening in the room. Why are we doing that? Why are we not doing that? And you should be able to answer that question. And don't just let your team just experiment all the time. You know that people are coming to church and their whole world's being turned upside down. Let Sundays be a little predictable. Let that be the one place where they can know what's going to happen. So don't, you don't have to create excitement. Uh, Sometimes what we need to create is stability. And that really speaks to people right now. People need to know that church is stable. It's predictable. It's safe. And we can do that with the sounds, the lights, and the environment. All right, here's the last one. I know we're going a long time here, but we're having fun with this. But is the battle of the buds. I just use that. How much personal relationship does a senior pastor need to invest in? And I'll just tell you as much as possible. This is a highly relational uh, environment. And you can, I can always tell when the worship pastor doesn't know the worship leader or the, worship, the senior pastor. I know you can always tell. Because there's, there's not any kind of conversation that happens that's natural and easy. And I, uh, John and I talk a lot and we speak a lot and we have fun together and we're in different seasons of life. I'm a, I'm in my mid fifties. I'm an empty nester. I'm battling dad bod. He's, he's got young ones at home. Hey, we're, so we're, but we have, so we have to work harder at that. When you're in a different stage of life, when you're different, you work harder at it. 
you're more purposeful at it, right? But the relationship is critical. Knowing that I have the relational equity with John to say anything I need to say to him is a gift. And John has invested back in me. So when John needs to come to me and say hard things to me, he knows he can. He's not going to, I'm not going to erupt on him. I'm not going, he's not going to get punished. And that happens because we just really care for each other. We see, I don't see John as a gifted musician and singer that helps me on Sunday. That's not the first thing I see when I see John. Now he is a gifted musician. He is a gifted worship leader, but it's not the first thing I see when I see him. When I see him, I see this remarkable young man that's godly and fun and joyful to be around, who I really enjoy as a friend, who happens to be my worship pastor. And the way, the first thing you see when you look at another human being determines how you're going to treat them. So what have you assigned to that person? If, it's, if every relationship in your life is transactional, then that relationship is bound to be unhealthy at some point. So not every relationship in the room is transactional for me. I like Glenn because he's smarter. I like Daniel because he's a great storyteller. I like John because he's a... That's not what I think about these young men, these men in my life. They're good human beings who's worthy of being... I like being around them. They're good people. They're good men. They're good fathers. They're good husbands. And the relationship is formed from that point, and then it expands to what we're doing for one another. Does that make sense to you? But there's a lot of transactional relationships in the church, and that's why you're having hurt feelings in the church. Because you don't see each other's humanity. You see each other's value based on what they do, not on their humanity, who they are. Does that make sense to you? Is that good? Uh, nothing to add to that other than I just I feel lucky. Uh, I feel really grateful. Um, that's really all I want to add to that. That's, yeah. <laughs> I love this man. All right. All right.